Well, it's good to see all of you this morning. Um, We are now in week two of a 10-week journey through a number of psalms. I'm going to read off the numbers, the psalms we're going to visit in the next few weeks, okay? Some of you have asked, uh, where are we going? And so I'm happy to tell you, and we have sought to, uh, to, to visit different types of psalms so that we get a, an understanding of what the whole book is about. But last week we began with Psalm 8, today Psalm 10, which is a different kind of a psalm, as we'll see. Next week will be, as you see on your notes, Psalm 32. Psalm 32, which deals with repentance and forgiveness. Then Psalms 42 and 3, kind of a unit. Then Psalm 47. Then 56. You keeping up? Okay, 78. A teaching psalm. 84, finding joy in God himself. 118, which is a certain type of psalm as well, singing the goodness of God now and forever. And then we will close on Labor Day with 130, Psalm 130, waiting, waiting on the Lord, waiting with hope, waiting with hope. So that's going to be our journey through the summer. And um, I would hand that to you, except it keeps changing with different people preaching and coming and going and adjustments. So that's my reason for not distributing too widely. Uh, It's the way it is today. Uh, But I'm glad you're here today. Psalm 10, then. Psalm 10. If you looked over the the review elements here of what psalms are about, you see a number of things that we we mentioned uh, last week about psalms. But uh, you go to that fourth bullet point. We mentioned last week that some psalms are psalms of lament. And that's where we are today. Psalms of lament. And a lament, as we're going to see today, is not simply a complaint. Complaints can be just raw and, and even um, irreverent. And that's not really what a biblical lament is. Uh, I, I give you a, a certain phrase here for a definition. A biblical faith-filled lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. And at several points today, I'm going to be referring to this book that I picked up and read three years ago and uh, knew immediately when we got to Psalm 10, that's the book I want to read again. So Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, uh, Discovering the Grace of Lament. Wonderful, wonderful book. Uh, The author is Mark, and I don't know how to say his last name, V-R-O-E-G-O-P. Vrogop? I don't know. Pastor Mark. Uh, But this is a book well worth your reading, and I'll tell you some of that in a moment. But today, you might be in a place of lament, or you might be there soon, or you might have lived through one, or two, or more. But today, we want to read Psalm 10 and journey through a lament, uh, which is a certain form of a psalm. It's, It's got structure that we'll see. We want to walk through it, and and I I... I'm confident that at certain points, your heart will find resonance where you'll say, okay, I wouldn't say it the same way, but I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But I want to pray and ask God's help in this. He is the God who cares for us in all the seasons of life, including those where we lament. So pray with me, if you would, please. Our Father, as always, we wait on you for your good ministry to us. 
even as we anticipate your ministry through us, we begin with time with you and a, a longing for the Spirit of God to have free access to our hearts in turning us, O oh God, to you and, and sharpening us and helping us. So we ask that of you now as we open the word of God together. Uh, care for us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Among the things that drew me to this book that I mentioned a moment ago, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, one is the foreword by Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, many who are uh, my age or so remember her story. Some of the younger generations have not caught uh, that. Johnny Erickson Tata, though, writes the foreword, and she begins like this. I'm going to read just a couple of sections here. Uh, she says this, When a broken neck ambushed my life and left me a quadriplegic, I I felt as though God had smashed me underfoot like a cigarette. At night, I would thrash my head on the pillow, hoping to break my neck at a higher level and thereby end my misery. After I left the hospital, I refused to get out of bed. I told my sister, just close the drapes, turn out the light, shut the door. My paralysis was permanent, and inside, I died. You don't have to be in a wheelchair to identify. You already know that some circumstances uh, don't get better. Problems are not always solved. Conflicts don't always get fixed. Children die. Couples divorce. And untimely deaths rock our world and shake our faith. A little later, she goes back to her story. After weeks in bed, I got tired of being depressed. And I cried out to God, God, if, if I can't die, please show me how to live. And there begins uh, what has been, oh goodness, 50 to 60 year journey that has included a lot of things, including bouts with cancer. The writer, uh, Pastor Mark, who I will just keep it at that, he has his own story that you will read through this book if you pick it up. Uh, He tells the story of deep grief uh, in losing a child just days before delivery. A little girl they had already named and were ready for after three boys. And the, 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 the shock and the disappointment and, and how, that, um, how that played out for both him and for his wife. But he, he, he gives a helpful journey through what we will see today as biblical lament. So Psalm 10, if your Bibles are open, wonderful. Look at the part called today's text. This will be a key to understanding what we read today. All right, I'm going to approach some of these things a little different than I often do. You'll see that as we move ahead. But a biblical lament typically includes four key movements. Now, some laments you will read in the Psalms have other features, okay? Or some of these that are in different order. But here the four are, and this is the order in which they appear in Psalm 10, okay? So just like other Psalms have patterns and poems and things like that we're familiar with. So a lament has an address to God of some sort, a a complaint, and then a call for action, and then a resolution of trust and praise. And you see, um, Pastor Mark uses those four words, turn, complain, ask, trust, to help help in simple form to think these these are the four movements. Now, I mentioned for those of you who like to read footnotes and technical things, If you look at your Bible, you'll notice there is no superscription at the beginning of Psalm 10. 
Many psalms have a, a note at the beginning saying a psalm of David or here's what's going on. Psalm 10 is absent that. And the reason for that, it would appear, is that Psalm 9 and 10 probably at one point formed a unit. So there's a superscription at, at chapter 9 that ascribes to David or a psalm of David. And it appears that at some point these two were separated, maybe for length. Psalm 9, more of a prayer of, about prayer or praise. And then Psalm 10, as we'll look at it more properly, is a psalm of lament. So typically, or probably historically a unit, but now separated. So that gives a little bit of understanding. Some of your footnotes and other study tools will describe that in great, great detail, believe me. But what I want to do then is read... Psalm 10 in its sections, rather than reading it all at once, I want to just read and then comment as you see those four movements uh, explained there on your study notes. But those, those four are very clear here in Psalm 10. We're not told the circumstances of David's life, if indeed he's the author, but I think you'll capture his heart. And so I read just that first verse as he begins, Why, O Lord? Do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? There's the first moment. It's a turning to God. It's a crying out to him. And as I put it on your sermon notes there, oh God, I don't understand. Where are you? Where are you in this? I feel your absence, God. Uh, There's that sense in me that if I were in your place, I would do something here and you're not. So there's an expression to God. Now, a couple of things here that we want to think about. As I mentioned already, biblical lament is not simply complaining to God. It is turning to him, okay? Sometimes I I hear people talk about complaining to God in a way that I think is deeply irreverent or or casual. You know, just tell God, just tell him, because he's a big boy. And I, I, I immediately react viscerally thinking, oh, The Almighty is a big boy now. Well, thank you for noticing. A big boy, is that what you'll say as you stand in his presence? Oh, you're a big boy. I I don't think so. Uh, We quickly um, put God down and bring him down to our level. I don't think so. It isn't simply then complaining to God. It is a turning to him. And I say here, like a compass points north, the heart of the faithful turns toward God in seasons of pain. And, And may I say... There are certain reflexes that are good to develop. Touch a hot stove, reflex, pull your hand back. You don't really have to think. God has made us this way. A lot of other reflexes should be learned. And here's one, and that is in whatever type of difficulty or lostness or struggle or pain or even sinfulness, our turning should be to him, not from him. Okay, that's the posture that we should assume. Uh, Even if it's, Lord, here I am in all my mess. Lord, here I am and I don't know how to get out of this. Lord, here I am and I, 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 uh, I don't even know where to go. Or simply, Lord, here I am. It's a turning toward him. So even with questions like, why do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself? In the very least, the writer is turning toward God with the struggles, not running. So think about that as a a first place. And I mentioned already, uh, in lament, 
as we'll see in this text and in others, we address God with respect and reverence. Last week, I mentioned that in your Bibles, when you see the word Lord in caps, it's a, it's a translation of Yahweh, the, the covenant name of God as revealed by God himself back in Exodus 3 and 4. So here, at the beginning of a lament, he begins, why, O Yahweh? So he's, he's calling the, the covenant name of God. He's remembering what God is like in his faithfulness and his care. Even in using the divine name, he does it again down, of course, in verse 12. Arise, O Yahweh. In verse 16, Yahweh is king forever and ever. So there is a deep reverence and respect, uh, even as he complains so, so as, I, as I say here on your second bullet point, we do not accuse God of evil or speak blasphemous words. A, a lament is not the shaking of a fist toward heaven. Okay, we understand this? That isn't what a biblical lament is. So when you hear somebody perhaps casually say, well, you just tell God, okay, yes, tell God, but you're, 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 in your telling, you are coming to him saying, dear Father, almighty God, here is my brokenness, okay? And I, I mentioned here Psalm 13. Similarly, uh, another psalm of, of lament, uh, if you just turn the page or look across, how long, O Yahweh, will you forget me forever? So again, there is, a, is that reverential uh, calling upon and looking those four how longs in, in chapter 13, are, are just iconic. How long, how long, how long, how long must I do this? Consider it, answer me, O Yahweh, my God. So deep respect. And I mentioned here then a quote from Ron Allen, of course, Hebrew professor and a wonderful writer. The point of the first movement in the psalm is to suggest that there may come a time, even in the life of a believer, that the feeling that God has forgotten Some of you have walked that road. You understand exactly why someone would pray verse 1. If you have not been down that road, uh, just remember where this is in the Bible for the day that you need it. Okay? Oh, God, I don't understand. Where are you? Now, the second movement then is this this complaining, if you will, but... uh, Maybe even that isn't enough. He takes the time to say, here's what's bothering me, God. So I'm going to read verses 2 through 11, and you'll hear it. You'll see it, and you'll hear the tone in which he expresses it. So Psalm 10, starting verse 2, in arrogance, here's what I see. In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. His judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. Isn't that an interesting expression? He puffs at them. Wow, all right. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages and hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. 
the helpless are crushed. They sink down and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. And that's what's bothering the writer. Whether it's a singular wicked or a multiplied wicked, you could say it either way. Sometimes you use a plural to describe a single. Sometimes you could go the other way. But clearly, there's, there's this, this person or this group in his mind that he says, they're laughing at you, God. They're stepping on people. They're hurting helpless people. They're hunting people down. They're getting away with it. They think they are. They're cursing your name, God. They seem to be doing okay, though. And God, how come? How come you haven't smacked them yet? I mean, come on. So there's his complaint. Interestingly, this is not an unusual complaint, meaning God's people have noticed this many times. I look at your third bullet point to go out of order a bit, and this, is, this shows up in other places in the Psalms. The same exact complaint where, where God's people look around and say, you know what? I see people who ignore you who seem to be doing better than I am. Uh, man, everything they do that they could get away with, they're getting away with it. And here I am, beleaguered, struggling, financially strapped, sick, whatever the deal is. Oh, God, how come? What's the deal? Uh, sometimes it's, it's an issue of, 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 of illness or finance or relationship. It sure looks like those guys are winning. Wow. Psalm 37 is another one of those. Some of us quickly remember verse 1, fret not yourself because of evildoers, neither be envious of the workers of iniquity. Man, Psalm 37, Psalm 73, likewise. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped because I saw the wicked. And it seemed to me that they're doing just fine. Thank you. And then he tells about it in great length again in Psalm 73. So this is a familiar struggle. Maybe it's been a struggle to you too. How come those guys prosper? And, and, and here, here we are. Here we are. Now, uh, and just a, a teaching note, I suppose, laments often use those three pronouns to express distress. I, ye, I, you, or they, as in I'm hurting God, you are seemingly absent, and they are winning. So often those are themes that show up in laments. You can look through uh, laments, and, and Mar- Pastor Mark says about a third of the Psalms are laments of some sort, and you can find those themes. God, I'm in deep pain here, and where are you? And the bad guys are ahead. So that, that seems to be uh, a very familiar thing. And the question that follows, second bullet point, is it worth it to do right? Is it even worth it? Maybe I should, wow, maybe I should join them in this because it seems to work just fine. Wow. Hebrews 11, of course, discusses that as well. Without faith, it's impossible to please God for the one who comes to God must believe that he is. What's the next part? and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Similar thought. It is worth it. It is worth it. It is worth it, oh God, to follow you. Faith, that's part of faith, is believing that God sees and knows. So there is his big lament, really, the complaint. God, this just doesn't seem right. Now, verses 12 to 15, the third movement 
Rise up, O Lord, as I read verses 12 through 15. Arise, O Yahweh, arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account, but you do see. You hear this? You do see, God, I know you do. You note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. I love that line. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. So here's, here's, the, here's the request. Here's the call for God to do something. Rise up, Lord, punish the wicked and rescue us. Now, you'll notice a number of things here. This is a, 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 a call to action to God himself, again, reverent in its tone. And the, in, the intent here is not simply smack them, God, get them, ruin their life. It isn't just that, is it? Because this, this call to action, indeed, the whole psalm is bathed with a, with a God-honoring spirit. So he isn't just calling for their ruin, but, but rather... Uh, vexed because the wicked are renouncing God. Lord, address justice here. Do what's right. Counter evil. Oh God, I know you see. And it's based on the character of God. God, you do see. I know you do. I know you do. Verse 14. I know you see, God. And then a description of what God is like. The character of God just runs through this whole, this whole section. You've been a helper of the fatherless. So, so the, 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 the call here, as I see it, is along the lines of David when he approached Goliath. Do you remember back in 1 Samuel, I think it's chapter 17, right? Where David has that big battle with Goliath. And he, he says, God... Uh, here's what I'm after. I want to show your greatness to, to the world. And he says it to Goliath too, that all the peoples of the earth would know. He, he, he puts it in the right context. He isn't just saying, you're a bad guy and I think I want to get you. No, it's, it's the name of God is at stake here. And I want to see God's name lifted high. I want to see people uh, know that God is a God of justice. And I think here there's a call for action. And, and I think as we perhaps... If we're faced with a situation of evil and we end up praying, um, we could learn some things here. We're not just praying, God, I don't like that guy. He's really creepy. I really wish you'd ruin his life. It isn't really just that. It's, Lord, your name is at stake here. This person is blaspheming you, and I long to see your name vindicated and held high. I long to see good biblical justice. You see the difference here between just wanting to get somebody because you don't like them? I don't think that's what's going on here. So in this call, I mentioned the writer calls for justice based on what he knows is true of God. You've been the helper of the fatherless. And of course, that's part of the descriptor of God regularly in the Bible, the one who helps the fatherless and the widow, the orphan, the distressed, the immigrant, the ones who have no one to appeal to for care. God sees and is active in caring for them. So here, David says, "You, you have been the helper to the fatherless, the one who have, the, those who have no other place to appeal to on a human level to, for their cause. 
You have been that helper of the fatherless. So God, here, from that same place, posture yourself for, for, for good. I mentioned as well, the writer's fully confident God sees. You can look at Old Testament stories. Wonderful. God is the one who sees. You, God, see me. Hagar, in the wilderness, you were called for being sent away by Sarai. Uh, you, God, see me. I know you see me. I know you see me. I know you do. God is just. He's right. He has the ability to judge evil. And I, I give you here oh, one, of, one of the texts that I refer to a lot. It's, in, it's, it's, it's always really close to me, and I could tell you stories, um, maybe not easily, where, where this truth has, has, has saved the day for the moment, for my heart and for others. So, so Genesis 18, just kind of grab a hold of this. It's the, it's the idea in Psalm 10. It's why I go here. Uh, in, in Genesis 18, this is the interplay between Abraham and God about God's judgment of Sodom, Gomorrah. And there's this back and forth. You remember, will you punish all of them? What about if there's 50 righteous? What about 45? What about 40? What about 30? But, but in that discussion... Uh, as they're standing there looking over the, the wicked cities prior to judgment, Abraham says in verse 23, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And, and, and part of that paragraph, he comes then to verse 25. And he says, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you, and here's the line, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And I love that. I love that. That's one of my go-tos. It's one of my anchors. It's, you know, if you're going to climb a, a, a rock face, you hammer in your little uh, clips in order to be safe and put your belay line. It's those things that keep you. And this is one of those lines, if I could just give you a line, that often keeps me. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And God, I know you do. I know you do. That's what Abraham is appealing to in this conversation, and that's, that's a truth I have given to people in a number of settings uh, of deep loss or uncertainty on, on eternal things. I, I don't know a lot. I don't know a lot, but I know this. I know this. The judge of all the earth will do right. I know he will. I know he will. He has never gotten it wrong yet, and he won't start now. The judge of all the earth will do right. I know he will. He will do right with your family. He will do right with you. He will do right with the loved one you just lost. I know the God of heaven will do right. So, so hang on to that, if you would. As you come back to Psalm 10, then, verses 12 to 15 are that, that appeal. God, see. God, rise up. God, act. Please do, do what is needed here. Now, as I mentioned earlier, a lament, if it stops at, at, at the complaint, is incomplete, okay? So a biblical lament moves to that fourth section, which is a confession of trust. It's the heart of the faithful saying, God, I do not know how this is all going to pan out. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know if there's more pain in the, you know, coming my way tomorrow. I don't know any of this, but I know this is true of you. 
And again, may I say to all of us, this, this turning to the fourth section should be part of a reflex of your soul, okay? Just as, as, as Genesis 18 is, the judge of all the earth will do right. I know, I know you will, God. So here there is a purposeful turning to what you know to be true of God. Please get this. Even when you don't see how the problem resolves, you don't see it yet. God has not acted yet on your complaint and on your appeal to him. But there are things you know to be true of God. And so you remember them, please. And so the writer here, as I read, verses 16 to 18, see the resolution, see the, see the faith here. The Lord, Yahweh, is king forever and ever. And you could stop and say, amen. I know he's king. The nations perish from his land Oh, Yahweh, oh, Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. I know you do. I know you do. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man, these people in the complaint, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. So even in this lament of, oh, God, you're standing far off. Oh, God, do you see all this stuff that's a mess And God, please, nevertheless, the faithful heart moves to the next. Be resolved by saying, and God, even though I don't know what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, I may die before I see resolution on this. I know that. But this I know. I know that you're king. I know you're king forever and ever. I know you are. I know that you rescue the fatherless and the widow. I know you do. Here are things I know to be true of my God, and there I will drive a stake in the ground, there I will drive that that, that anchor in the rock, and there I will stake my life. I don't know a lot of other things. I don't know how a lot of other things will ever turn out, but this I know of God. You hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. Do justice. I know that this is true of you. And I mentioned here on your notes, the same essential faith that turns us toward God in lament, turns our feet at the very beginning toward God instead of away from him. It offers us this lifeline of rock-solid faith. We must remember. And I'm saying this is a discipline. I'm saying this requires active work on your part. And this is something that you need to, uh, hear me now, you need to teach yourself to do if it isn't your reaction. If it's not normal for you, it's not instinctual, you need to teach yourself this, please. Okay? It will make all the difference in the world as you face challenges in, in life. And you will, and you are, and you know it. But, but teaching yourself even as you deal with lament and on some level to end in the right spot. I do not know how you will fix this. I don't know. But, oh God, I know what you're like and I know that you see and I know you hear and I will stake my life on that. And I may come home first before I ever see this resolved. But I trust you. I do. Now, that resolution, I think, is... Wow, I think it's, it's kind of the key. The beginning, we turn our feet toward, we, we reverentially, honestly say it, and then we remember what God is like even as we call on him to act. It's based on, as I say here, the character and faithfulness of God. Now, I want to read just one more, just a line or two here from this little book, and then I'm going to look at the responding to God 
God's word part with you. But as Pastor Mark tells this story um, and why he ended up writing this book um, on lament, why would you spend that kind of time? He is telling their story, and he tells of a moment. You all have moments too, as do I. That are as plain as day, and you remember them for years. They were getting back in the car, he and his wife, after the trip to the doctor, where the doctor confirmed that their days from delivery, little girl, had no heartbeat. They're getting back in the car. There's things to be done. But, but a whirlwind of emotion and sadness. And he says here his, life, his wife's blunt prayer. And hear the lament. God, I know you're not mean, but it sure feels like you are today. Do you hear it? God, I'm turning to you, not from you. Here's what I know to be true of you. I know you're not mean. I know you're not. But here's how I feel right now. Reverential, blunt, clear, but a turning, turning to God instead of away from him. I think this is the heart of biblical lament. There's more that they would tell in their story. Part of this book involves going to the book of Lamentations, which, of course, as you know, is a five-chapter lament. These are not roads that God's people um, necessarily walk in public. Uh, Lament. But it's interesting to me, the the best-known verses in the book of Lamentations, you remember where they are? It's the middle of of chapter 3. Those are the ones we want to hold on to. I understand. You know, this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I have hope in him. But what surrounds that paragraph? Deep lament. That's the rock in the middle. But all the others, you can go to Lamentations and read, my eyes have no more tears. Oh God, do you see? Do you see this? How can it be? My eyes, my eyes long for more tears to cry. I see all this. God, what, if, what is happening to your people? Mm. So I say then to us, if you look at the section called Responding to God's Word, here, here, here would be the, some reminders to us. When you're hurting, and I, I don't just mean you skinned your knee, I mean that other kind. When you're hurting, practice the art of biblical lament. And Pastor Mark gave us those four. Turn, that is to him to God. Complain. Tell him reverentially, but tell him, here's how my heart is today. Ask God, do this. Bring justice. Help. And then trust that final movement. I know, God, you're trustworthy. So there's, there, there would be the four steps if you want to remember those. Turn, complain, ask, trust, and you'll remember the context for each. Now, two cautions I give you here, and both of these are significant. Uh, the, the second bullet point there, when we're hurt by others, we often view ourselves as getting a pass to sin ourselves. Have you ever noticed this? Someone's kind of mean to you and you say, well, okay, because you started all this, I am now free to say this to you. Well, you, 
And off we go. And we, I would never have done that. Never. I would never have done that if they hadn't started it. In a sense, giving ourselves a pass. You said that to me. Well, guess what you are? Believe me, it wasn't on. No, actually, hold on. Biblically, even your response is still on you. Isn't it? Just because someone sins against you does not give you the right before God to get them back. Okay? Mull that over a bit. We, we quickly excuse ourselves. And then the other caution here, third bullet point, as you process difficulty, oh, there's no quick way to do all of this. There's no timeline specifically, but I'm just reminding us, do not get stuck in lament. Don't get stuck here. Again, I'm not going to give a timeline on this, but, but bringing your complaints to God should never be an end in itself. If you're stuck with the complaining, um, as, as Pastor Mark would say, uh, if you haven't moved beyond the complaining stage, lament loses its purpose and its power. So don't stay stuck in lament. At some point, there's a time to say, okay, God, I've said it. Here it is. I rest it with you. And I need to go on. And then trust him with it. So don't be stuck in lament. Okay? And I'll let you figure out what stuck means in terms of time. I don't know what that is for people. Sometimes it's days. Depends on the loss. Sometimes it's weeks or months. Sometimes it's years, justifiably. I understand. But don't, don't stay there. Don't stay there. I want to pray for us. That God will help us and, and help us to remember this in the moments that we need it the most. Would you stand with me? And we want to pray. And we'll pray for day camp this week. Many of you are going to be involved there. Uh, hopefully we won't be lamenting too many things over the next five days, though some inevitably, I'm sure. Pray with me here, please. Our Father, I thank you that you know us so well. You know our human condition. And you know each of us as individuals, not just as part of the crowd. You know those things that have caused us in the past to lament that have just torn our hearts in ways that we never would have imagined, with circumstances we never would have imagined. No, God, you see, you do. You are the one who hears. You, you attend to the life and the cry of the righteous, those who are yours. Thank you for this. Would you help us in those moments that we heard, maybe some even today, others of us maybe right about to, Help us to turn our feet toward you, not away. Help us to come to you in reverential trust. Help us with each of these steps, culminating in those those rock-solid commitments. God, I know this is true of you. So confirm our hearts in this. Father, for the week ahead, would you help us, all of us as a church family, as we are involved in day camp, whatever way that is. Pray your blessing on those up North at Central Bible today as they meet for worship. The folks on the other side, south side, Grace Community Church, as they meet for worship today too, wondering if they as a church family have a future. Guide them, direct them, and us. So we trust you now. In Jesus' name, amen.